there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. And now, here's this week's guest. I have so many questions for you, but let's just start off with explaining your background because you're a pharmacist yeah. and I'm curious how you got from pharm- pharmacy, pharmacisting, <laughs> that's not a word, to here. Yeah. Okay. So I, uh, I graduated with a master's in pharmacy. Um, and then, so once you graduate, there's three different directions that you can go into. So you go either via the community route, which is the drugstore pharmacist, as we all know, uh, the pharma route. So you're going into research and development for all the big pharmaceutical companies, or you go down the clinical route. And in the clinical route is where you're actually in the hospitals and the clinics and helping, you know, doctors prescribe, picking up errors, helping nurses administrate all the drugs that you need. Um, So I decided to go down the clinical route. Um, In the UK, which is where I trained, the first couple of years when you go into uh, clinical pharmacy, you're required to do rotations amongst different specialities. Um, So you can, in the first year, you, you have to do everything. In the second year, you can start to narrow down which ones you think are of interest to you. Um, I very quickly realized that oncology was where I thought personally I can make a bigger impact and professionally where I thought what my personality is like, where that aligns best in the types of team that work there. So in oncology, it really is a team effort when you're caring for that specific patient in terms of the expertise, in terms of the care that you're giving, the advice that you're giving. It's really hands-on and it's really like immediate and it's there in front of you in other specialities you can get lost down the chain like in surgical and emergency rooms you just get lost but I I knew that so um having done my second year specializing there I then went back to uni and did my master's in clinical oncology Um, and that's something that you're required to do when you want to specialize especially in oncology which is so um intricate and and complicated Um, and then in the UK you can go back to university and do something called a prescriber's course so you select your scope of practice so that can be across all specialities Um, I wanted to do breast cancer because I have always been really interested in female health although it affects males as well um, and how hormones play a role in all of these type of things and it's where I got the most the most not satisfaction, but where I felt like I was making more of a difference. Um, So I did my prescriber's course, um, trained for another year. So when you have that certification, you have to train with a specific uh, consultant to learn how you prescribe the chemotherapy and and so on and so forth. Um, Once I did that, I then had the opportunity to work on some projects where we were opening up uh, the outpatient model of care 
in, for cancer in places like India and parts of Africa. So I spent nearly two or three years working on those projects where we'd go to Delhi, go to Mumbai, go to Lagos, spend some time there, look at what the, the cancer services are available there, what are the challenges, how, whether they're ready for that outpatient model of care, and if they are, how we can, how we can create that for them. Um, and then from there, most recently, I have been working as a healthcare consultant within the Middle East region, um, advising governments in places like Saudi, the UAE, Bahrain and Jordan of how they can improve their cancer services. So as it stands, it's changing now, but patients that are usually diagnosed in this part of the world from the local population, so your Emiratis, your Saudi nationals, Usually what happens is their embassies fund treatment for them on places like Harley Street in London, which is where I worked, or, or the States, because they either have um, a lack of expertise or the right drugs aren't available, the right trials aren't available. And what the governments um, have wanted to do, and rightly so, is develop their own cancer services so they don't have to send the patients elsewhere. You know, they, they can get everything here. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's my background. So now you've gone <laughs> from the end point of disease yeah. to prevention, which is probably a really logical step. Yeah. But just tell me how, like with longevity. So just tell sure. me how that sort of happened. Yeah. So whilst I was working um, in the clinic on Harley Street, which is where I spent uh, most of my professional career, um, we would always get a lot of patients that, are either newly diagnosed or just recovering from from cancer and they would always ask the same questions in that okay are there any supplements i can take what's the correct foods i should be eating how should i be moving so bearing in mind most of these women have had mastectomies so there's there's issues with movement they were either on active treatment or they've finished treatment so they concerns are what's going to make the chemo work better what's going to stop the cancer coming back so I led on an initiative there called the living well program which basically put together all these holistic specialities nutritionists physios um a whole load of different different people put them together and we put together a plan that was specific for cancer patients Personally, I've always been interested in nutrition and fitness and the underlying causes of chronic disease. It just so happens the one that I specialized in was cancer, but the underlying drivers and similarities between cancer, dementia, Alzheimer's, heart disease are very similar. Um, so, yeah, at, at that point, so the Living Well program really catered towards cancer patients. As well as those patients, they would always come in for treatment with their, their husband, their wives, their brothers, their sisters. They would also have the same questions, but not, not coming from a, an angle of just cancer, but seeing this firsthand, how can I stop my, just improve my health and, you know, do anything that I can that will prevent any of these um, types of conditions. Um, I just finished my personal training um, qualification and I was, I've just completed my master's in nutrition and oncology at that time. So I then had a really good understanding and I was, when you're at university, you're trained one way. It's a patient gets sick, you give them this drug, 
you give it for this long at this amount and then if that doesn't work you go on to a next another drug but over the years there's been so much that has come out that says that we need to focus on other things not just drugs alone and be a bit more proactive to what we do so when i thought about longevity the i wanted to give something to people that were not yet sick but worried about getting sick and when i looked at all of the things that are risk factors towards chronic disease um i came up with six fundamental pillars which is all of our programs are it we we guide everybody through those six fundamental pillars um, and they are nutrition movement sleep stress community and supplements and it seems and they're not it's not something new is not something crazy it's something that honestly all of us know that we need to do how we do it and why we need to do it is where we come in and we break all of those things down in a way that people can actually implement on a day to day in a sustainable way and more importantly know why they need to do it and how that affects their risk factors for certain certain things it does feel like like when you say all of the drivers for all of the chronic disease yeah. are the same basically yeah. it does seem like people don't get that it seems yeah. like people are always trying to find like I know women my age are obsessed about dementia we're trying to find the one thing like yeah. is it estrogen is it's like when I look it's always the same things yeah. and the new risk factors are the same for all of them yeah like exactly air pollution or working long stressful hours yeah they, they just came out and listed those so it's kind of interesting. It's not that complicated. It's, and you know, I wish, I wish that I could sit here and say longevity has the magical formula mm. to reduce all of your risk factors. And it's something that you've never heard of before, because that would be amazing. Unfortunately, I can't. And like I said, it's just dialing back down to basics, just looking at what you're doing now, um, not what you should be doing or what you can be doing that is a little bit better than what you are doing now. And you can't, and we, we see this so much with the program and the reason that we've designed it in the way that we have is you can't tell somebody on day one, week one, that you need to change your diet. You need to move more. You need to sleep better. You need to take these supplements. You need to do X, Y, and Z. It's too overwhelming. What you've got to do is break it down in a way that they're doing one thing and then doing that well, and then we move, add in another thing, then we add in another thing, and by the end of it, you're doing so many things without realizing that it starts to become an easier way of life. And by making these simple changes, you do significantly reduce your risk factors. And then I suppose people start feeling a little bit better and feeling a little bit better, because yeah. I know when you are, you have, you don't do any of this stuff. It's yeah. horrible, right? The yeah. thought of, ex you know, I don't like exercising. You hear that all the yeah. time. Or yeah. like, oh, I don't want to eat that green stuff. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. Like, so yeah. you're just baby stepping people into. Yeah. And, okay. and, and we're really, we're really personalized in that every client that we see, first of all, goes through a full blood and hormone testing, a full health assessment as well, because the blood and the hormones tell you a lot about what's going on inside a person the health assessment lets us look at you know certain risk factors that they may have um based on what their dietary habits are how they're moving how they're sleeping what their past medical history has been um and those type of things and we go really personal even down to the fact if somebody does say i don't like exercising i've tried it so many times i don't want to do it it's not about they don't like exercising it's about finding the correct exercise that they want to do right and it's it's all trial and error that's why when we have people that come to us, we, it's ma we manage their expectations in saying, okay, 
this is going to be a lot of trial and error. What works for you is not going to work for me, but that's why we're here because we're going to figure out what works for you. Similarly, when you go to a doctor and he's going to prescribe a drug, right? When he does his health assessment to look at what drug is right for you, that's going to be different to what's right for me. And it goes down from the formulation, whether it's a capsule, a tablet, whether you have 20 milligrams, I have 40 milligrams. And so that's that's that same type of approach we apply in that prevention phase. Okay, so what are the things that make you crazy that people don't do that are just simple, low-hanging fruit yeah. when it comes to this stuff? There's so many. I would honestly say, first and foremost, people always complain that they're tired and the best way to not be tired is to sleep. So just cut out that one hour before bedtime that is just scrolling. And, and it sounds so boring, but I promise you, it's probably one of the best things that you can do. The second thing is if you're picking up a, a packet of food and it has more than three or four ingredients in there, maybe it's got eight ingredients and six of which you can't pronounce because they're, they're a chemical. If they're made in a plant and it doesn't come from a plant, it's not good for you. Just ditch it instead of buying the pre-cooked breaded chicken that you can get that's convenient because we everybody right now is working long hours and you know trying to find that work-life balance. But it's so much better to just get the chicken breast and get the breadcrumbs and just do it yourself at home. Um, and then another one I would say is just go outside. Just get outside. It doesn't matter if it's cold, if it's gray, if it's sunny, if it's whatever it is. First thing in the morning, just get outside. And you don't even have to walk, like move, just stand outside for like 10 minutes because what that can do in terms of hormones, in terms of your mood, in terms of your energy levels, it's amazing. It's incredible. And a lot of these things, and this is feedback that we get from our clients is, once you start doing these things and you feel the difference in how you're feeling, it is going to be very hard for you to go back to the old habits that don't make you feel as good. So I have, I, I say that I, I go to bed at the same time each evening. Um, but it, it check, like if I've got family in town, if I'm at home, yeah, it's later. But when I know that I need to be on the ball the next day, it's a non-negotiable for me because I know how I can perform when I've had a good night's sleep, when I've done my exercises, when I've eaten correctly, like it's incredible the difference between not doing that. So it's very hard to go back to, to those type of things. Okay. So what, where does, I know chronic disease is obviously the scary one, but the, in the middle, there's all these autoimmune disorders. Yeah. It seems like that have exploded Yeah, and allergies. Are those like a gateway in a um, way? It, mm, not necessarily. So things like allergies and things, they are they are a bit thyroid, more, yeah, gut yeah. problems we're yeah. seeing. But all of them do stem from a lot of it is from the lack of movement, from what you're actually putting into your body that helps you regulate your your hormones, right? Like your your thyroid is is not going to be performing optimally if you're not treating it the what it what it needs to perform that way is it's like you and I right like if I don't sleep I'm not going to be able to perform so I and I will do it but eventually I will burn out I will I will not feel good the work that I'm like submitting or producing is not going to be to the quality that it can be and um, so yeah 
Yeah. Um, the prevention route yeah. versus the medical route. Yeah. Like you want to keep people out of the hospital. Yeah. Because what happens when you enter the hospital? You saw this firsthand. Yeah. What's so happening then? The, when, you're, when you're getting into the hospital, and honestly, when you're at medical school, when you're training as a pharmacist, when you're training as a nurse, there is n- none of the things that we discuss now, such as nutrition, movement, sleep, stress, none of these things you learn about. You learn, okay, the basic structure of a protein, a carbohydrate, a fat. You don't look at the importance of, you know, what what those things can do to benefit and what those things you can consume to the detriment of, of getting these type of um, conditions. So when you're, so the hospitals that we are visiting are staffed full of people that are right medicine at the right time for the right patient. That's all it is. It's not looking at exterior factors. And working on the ground, I know the time pressures that you're under. You've got a list of 20 people that you've got to see, and you've got like nine minutes with each with each patient. There's only so much that you can delve into what's going on. Um, so yeah, like when you're when you're presenting at a hospital, it, it is a it's a conveyor belt, and it's not because the doctors aren't good. It's not because the doctors don't care. It's not because any of us don't care. It's because the system doesn't allow for us to and and that starts from university from when you're taught right through to even refreshing your training like at the moment there is a lot of studies and there's a lot of things that are out there that say to us that eating right moving more all of these things do impact your health and can reduce your risk factors right so we did a bit of an exercise um in the UK and in other parts of the world where we got in touch with hospitals that were people's go-to when they get sick. So in the UK, it would be, I need to go to my general practitioner, my family doctor. In other parts of the world, you will go to, um, you know, the, the biggest polyclinic or, or whatever that you need to go to. So we asked a simple question to those people. I feel like I want to be more healthy, have a bit more of a proactive approach to my health, especially post-pandemic. What can I do? Is there anybody that I can see? In some parts of the world, uh, four out of five of the hospitals directly referred us to the bariatric surgery department. Wow. So you're assuming that that we're overweight and your answer to that is to have surgery surgery. or not even have surgery. Go and speak to somebody who is specialised in giving giving that type of surgery, right? right? Right. So there's a systemic failure in, and the narrative is right patient, right drug, right time. And it's not changing. It will change. There is a lot of noise that's being made. So people like Dr. Mark Hyman, who's the pioneer in, in, in all of this stuff from the States, in the UK, and Dr. Tim Spector, who, he, yeah, who you know, um, people like this are changing things and are making everybody question it. But on the ground when you're working when you're going to work and you've got 20 patients to see it's it's not being supported and one of the reasons I moved personally from the patient front line higher up to things like in consulting was because on the front line I realized that if you actually do want to make a change it's it's good you can do it one-to-one for that one patient but if you want to impact a hundred patients like a thousand patients you have to go further up the chain and you have to go to see where the systems are and change the systems at that place that will filter down um, to make a difference. The, I think it will 
I think the prevention thing is that is now it's coming into play. It's going to take time, like most things. Hopefully, like you know, students that are going to university, training as medical professionals, nutrition, and all of this type of stuff will have a bit more of a, a presence there, and that that ultimately will filter down. But again, if the system doesn't allow for you to to do that, then it feels like it makes fiscal sense, which drives everything yeah. for an insurance company to push for this so, because it feels like yeah, we you had, wouldn't want to have to be paying for care for all these people. Yeah, we had, um, we've had some conversations with insurance providers and we've said, look, it's a chronic disease prevention program. Okay. And they're like, how does that benefit us? So we say that, you know, ultimately we're preventing the diseases that people are using their insurance to pay for. So if you're actively looking at a, a prevention program, for the customers and the clients that you have, ultimately they're not going to dip into that pot that you've got waiting for them for when they do get something that they I'm sure need. you're missing something, but this seems very obvious to me. So obvious, You wouldn't right? have to be paying for all their medical appointments yeah. if yeah. you could. But someone said to me, people change jobs frequently, so it's not advantageous to them. That was one argument I heard. And I was like, well, I don't know. That. Change jobs, really they change, change, change jobs enough so that if you invest in the prevention of, um, of an employee okay. as an insurance, because it, it requires expenditure on the part yeah. of the insurance company yeah. that you don't know that that person who's being insured by you right yeah. then will be there. I'm sure it, you know, it, it seems so obvious to us that this should be a part of it. And the only thing that I can think of that drives the fact that it's not is probably insurance not making as much money as they could, yeah. which is a sad reality. And I know that's very negative and pessimistic of me and, and, and judgy, but that's the only thing that I can think of. I mean, you do get insurance providers that do things like, you know, in the UK, there's a, a provider that gives people Apple watches. And then, you know, if you if you get a certain number of step counts, you get some rewards or whatever, and they make it um, a bit fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do get some in this part of the world that offer some type of um, exercise programs, um, which is better than nothing. But I think it could be a lot better if there's a genuine concern for people's health and the fact that we are in a global health crisis then I think again top top people should be filtering down that you know you need to do this you should do this Um, and is it is it like I mean basically the mainstream medicine doctor that you go to they're not looking at the whole person I mean over here we have naturopathic doctors and functional medicine that still get maligned which is kind of funny yeah yeah yet you can walk into a hospital and have something wrong with your liver and have something wrong with your thyroid and no one's going to put those two together yeah like literally they don't have time they're not doing that also I think or do you think people just think the medicine is there and then they can take it and they'll get better and they don't same as surgery right like there's payback. There's a yin and a yang. Yeah. You don't get something for free. Yeah, when you for take sure. Medication. That, that's what I think. No, the COVID-19 pandemic has helped in many ways. I think we are far more reactive to our own health and the system is far more reactive than proactive to, to the health of the people that they're looking after. And similarly, us ourselves, we know that if I'm not eating well, if I'm not exercising okay, I know that I could probably get diabetes and, and maybe cholesterol in my heart. I'll get blood pressure. Okay, that's fine. I'll just go to the doctors and he'll give me a pill. The The problem comes is, yeah, that's very easy. First of all, it, taking a pill for the rest of your life may, may seem easy. But what you do when you're taking that pill and you, you're just opening up yourself, 
to a number of other risk factors that contribute to other chronic diseases. And so, you know, things like even cholesterol that we were discussing that, yeah, you can present and and there's low dose statins that people can take for prophylaxis for, for prevention. But if patients are presenting with a slightly elevated cholesterol level that warrants they need they, they can benefit from a low-dose statin as a prophylactic. So a prophylactic is preventing. Why not take those one, two, three months to try other things that at the very worst-case scenario will elevate it slightly or you know and put it into that higher-risk profile? But then at that case, yeah, you do need it. But your cholesterol doesn't climb in one, two, three months, and it didn't climb in one, two, three months to get to the point where it was when you go to the doctor's. Um, but spending a few months to worst case scenario, it stays the same, is way better than just opting to take that statin because a lot of these drugs, yeah, everybody's taking them, but the side effects that come with them as well, it, they're quite, you know, they're serious. They should be taken into account, especially the older that you get. So if you're taking a low dose statin and you're, you know, like in your 60s or your 70s, the side effect of the statin is muscle cramps. Now, somebody could just, say that oh that's you know an age-related problem I'm starting to get cramps and things so the the line between knowing what's causing the things that are going on in your body gets gets really really faint so it's really hard to know what is a side effect from a drug exactly and, and even to clue in that, that what you take in that morning and the thing that developed over the last three weeks exactly and when you and when you get patients that present to you that are on uh, a drug for diabetes a drug for blood pressure a drug for statins and they 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 present with certain things Honestly, from the clinical point of view, sometimes it's really difficult to understand like, okay, is this caused by a drug? Okay, so all three of these drugs say the the common side effects are this. However, is it something else? And if you if you rule it down to the drugs and you're missing something else, so it's really hard to to look at those type of things as well. But um, yeah, as I said, post pandemic, you can you can see a shift that people are wanting to be a bit more proactive. And that's not to say that they are, you know, doing everything that they should or could be doing, but they are making slight changes and slight changes reduce your risk factors by like tens of percentages. Like, you know, so it's good. It's going in the right direction. I think it just can be a little bit more. Well, I don't think people know that you can have these situations that have been brewing for a very long time and basically reverse them in a very short time. Yeah. That's so. can you just talk to me a little bit about that? Because your program is 12 weeks. Yeah. And so it's, it's actually easy to reverse. To reverse. So yeah. can you just talk about so like some cases you've so had? There are, there are certain things that, you know, that do warrant medicine. Okay. I, I don't want it to come across as I completely disregard it because the marvels of modern medicine allow us to live as long as we're living. And especially in certain, in certain cases, you know, keep people alive and are keeping people alive. And um, when it comes to doing these things and, and reducing your risk factors, there was a study done recently uh, by Tim Spector in the UK that said that if um, the what is known as the normal diet for UK citizens was to be changed to an optimum diet, so it's not drastically changing, it's not like the best diet, it's eating a bit more protein, eating a bit more vegetables, reduces the risk factors for chronic disease by 70%. And the the WHO, uh, the year before the COVID-19 pandemic, put out a study saying that 70% of global deaths are caused by chronic diseases that are reversible and preventable. 
So, and, and when you look at people that present clients that present to us that are pre-diabetic, um, you can, we've had clients, we've had many clients actually that have been pre-diabetic and we've put them on the co- correct nutrition plan. We've got them at the very minimum, just walking, sleeping better. And you can reverse, you can reverse that. And that, that, that's incredible. And that's done without any, not, not, it's not a drastic effort, right? To just mm-hmm. eat a little bit better and, and move. And, and that means that they're not taking a pill. I feel is- like a lot of people don't get how serious a pre-diabetes because, reading is. Yeah. Like I, how much that's a stepping stone down the path. Yeah. Do you, does that seem yeah, like Yeah, it? yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think it is. It goes back to the fact that because we know that there's going to be a pill that the doctor can give us. So it, it's not as scary. If, let's say, in, in other examples, if you're, you know, I, I don't want to use this example because it's quite, but, but with cancer, right? Like it's, people take that, that if somebody was to be told that you've got pre-cancerous cells, that would make a more of an impact to people than being told that they're pre-diabetic. Very similar though. Yeah, but the drivers behind yeah. it is, is it, they're all similar. It's metabolic disease, it's inflammation, it's, it can be corrected by cutting out processed foods and walking more. So it's interesting how diabetes, blood pressure, heart disease have been, you know, they've been in, on the main stage for a long time and people are a little bit conditioned and desensitized to mm-hmm. those being serious they as soon as you say the word cancer it's it's huge right like it has a, a bigger impact um but actually both of those things all of those things are the same so in theory it should have i remember I had, I had a lot of health anxiety in my 40s yeah because i was having hormonal fluctuations i didn't know and i remember yeah. saying to my doctor I've always worried about cancer. I have a lot of cancer in my family. And yeah. she, she said, people are always so worried about cancer, but if you get heart disease, you can be gone in a couple of months. Exactly, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. You're not helping. <laughs> and, and also it's, it's not like heart disease is debilitating. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pumping blood through your body, right? It's, it's, it's kind of important. It's, yeah. it's crazy how, how debilitating it can be when, when you do see, and it's, it's really, it's really weird because sometimes you do think that, you know, if you were to, if people were to see firsthand what these conditions that they disregard and are happy to continue their lifestyles and 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 pop a pill, if they were to see them firsthand when they can go wrong, whether they would have that same same type of approach to preventing it. You lost your brother, didn't you, to cancer? Yeah, it's heartbreaking. What yeah. happened? He had a a, a rare form of um, cancer, uh, unfortunately, that. Uh, that was in the bowel and um, so he had a huge surgery that's called debulking surgery so basically you're trying to remove as much as the tumor avec organ as you can so he had a lot of that removed and then yeah he was just um he had chemo and unfortunately lost his life to it yeah. and does that I mean that doesn't sound like that was a lifestyle situation that, that was a that was a really rare form of cancer that affects the the peritoneum um in in the in the bowel um and he was young he i mean he he just turned 40 i think the year that he passed away mm-hmm. so um yeah so it was uh, and it, and from from my side it was it was really it was really weird to be on the other side of it as well and it really changed my practice going forward I, the reason that I went into oncology was because you know you can sit with a patient and you don't have to talk about medicine but you can talk about there's so many other things that they need help with the new normal. It's not just the drug. It's the, you know, how they're feeling, how they're looking, 
and all of that type of stuff. So you could, the impact that you can make from just having a five-minute conversation with them is huge. So that was always there. But when you see it on the other side, you you do you really value the fact that like the I always remember what this consultant told me when I trained with him. Um, he, he said, you will always have 20 or 30 patients on your list of people to see in a day. But that patient only has you on their list. So the time that you give to them, it has to be undisturbed and you have to be fully focused and fully present in that moment. And I I practiced that, but I really, really understood the importance when you're on the other side and you know, you're waiting for the doctors to oh come. Oh my gosh, and... my mom, I lost my mom to cancer as well. And oh, you're just, sure. it's the, your whole day is like, yeah. And you can, you can see them coming in so harried and they're, but yeah, then they, yeah. the way they're able to switch to talk to you is quite something. And then some of them, we didn't like it all because they were. <laughs> it's crazy because the comp, the, that, that moment before you walk into a room to see a patient, there's that thing you've got to do where you've got to be like, okay. Yeah. You know, because you can't walk in there and be like, hey, you've got to be like, hi, how's it going? And, and you think that that's like, that's the best way to approach it. But having been on the other side of it, sometimes when you've been waiting the whole day to see the doctor and somebody walks in and they're really bright and smiley, you're just like, okay, forget the hello, how are you and yeah. everything, just let's get down to it. Because I know you've only got five minutes, yeah. so yeah, let's yeah. cut to the chase. Okay, two things that are important to us at Live Healthy. Yeah. One is walking. Yeah. We, like, I think people go crazy about what exercise to do and how to start. Yeah. And you see people starting CrossFit and then hurting themselves yeah. how good of what is walking for you walking is brilliant it's the best form of exercise if you don't want to do anything else walk it does so many things first of all for your mood second of all it gets you outside and it gets you into natural light which we don't do enough of thirdly the mechanics of walking massaging the veins when your calves are moving in in the bottom parts of your legs to drive that blood back up is just making your heart that extra bit efficient in doing that because the blood's going against gravity, right? So moving moving your legs, especially in that walking motion with your calves to massage those veins is 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 amazing. Another thing is it's so good for just keeping mobile, keeping your your joints are lubricated when they're moving. So when you get stiff joints and you're not moving them, that's when you're gonna have a problem. The more you walk, the more your joints are lubricated, especially as you age, things like your hips and your knees, you need to keep those moving. So in terms of exercise, it's brilliant. And I know people are always like, you know, uh, do 10,000 steps. And a lot of people are like, well, where did this 10,000 steps come from? The reality of it is studies that I've done, and when you look at the meta-analysis of all the studies that have been done on the amount of walking you should be doing, it's something like on average globally, people walk about 3,000 steps a day. There's a lot of good data out there to say anything above at 8,000 is good. But if you're, if you're somebody that doesn't walk and you want to know, you know, how much should I work? Everybody's saying 10,000, one person says 8,000. Just have a look at what your weekly average is on your phone. You can do that on the, on the iPhone health app. Have a look what your weekly average is and just increase it by 500, 500. And for as long as you can do it, the more you do, the better. And and there is a direct correlation between the more you walk, the better it is for your health. So, you know, so we get a lot of people that, you know, challenge us with that 10,000 step. And a lot of our clients as well, they always say, well, okay, so should we aim for 10,000 steps? And we say, no, let's look at what you're averaging right now and let's do one thing. Let's just add in a 20-minute walk before breakfast 
outside before work, before anything, and then we'll see what your step count is doing. And then from there, you just build it 500, 500, 500. And at the end of a 12-week program, people are doing way above 10,000 steps. It's not that many. It's actually It's really not, especially if you break it up. Yeah. Yeah, it it seems like a lot. It's on average, um, it's uh, every 10 minutes that you walk, it's about 1,000 steps. So if you walk an hour in the morning and you walk an hour in the evening, that's that's a lot. And even if you don't want to do that, do half an hour in the morning, 20 minutes after your lunch, half an hour in the evening, it, it just it just mounts up. Um, so one thing that's gotten really sort of charged with fat phobia is like the importance of weight loss yeah. to to this longevity, to yeah. preventing chronic disease. Yeah. How do you get around that? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question because we get a lot of this stuff. So it is true that the lower your body fat percentage, the better your health span looks. So your lifespan is the number of years that you will live. And your health span is of those years, how many years you live without as a healthy individual. And that means not taking any medication, everything's functioning correctly, you're moving. Um, so lower back body fat percentages are directly correlated to an increase in health span. When people present to us and they say, I want to do longevity because I want to lose weight, we have to have a conversation with them in that losing weight here can be a goal, but it's not the primary goal. Because if you do X, Y, and Z, the weight coming off is a byproduct. And if you do X, Y, and Z really, really, really well, the fat loss will just come by itself. And it's, and you get, we get clients that have struggled with their weight for a long time. They've done, crash dieting and x y and z and it is it is a difficult switch to make where you're thinking okay i'm going to make all of these changes because i want to feel better not because i want to look better you know like the looking better comes it does come if you just do it um and it's really good because it's so nice to see those people that have struggled with it and only focused on the aesthetics and the weight loss when they do do it a different way how much longer they're able to sustain it and how much more they enjoy it. Like it's not miserable for them to just, you know, eat low, low calories and screw up their hormones to then do the 12 weeks and, yeah, get that transformation of that before and after picture. But what you don't see is the 12 weeks after the end of that 12 weeks, right? Is that is that person still, you know, at the same or, or, or have they gone back? Um do you find after 12 weeks, most people continue? Yeah. yeah. So we've we've just launched a, it's called the Longevity Alumni. So what we do in 12 weeks, it was really hard to get the topic. So each topic, each week is broken down into a specific focus. So the first week is just onboarding where we get all the blood tests done. In the second week, we've got the importance of protein. Third week, we've got metabolic reboot. Fourth week is fats and then so on, so forth. So then we make supplements for our clients we then go into looking at their sleep. We then look into their gut health. And the idea is each week we implement one new thing. There's a lot of topics that I wanted to do, but my very dear friend is a psychologist and she she specializes in behavioral change. So when I put this together, I got her to look at it and say, okay, this is about people making change in a sustainable way. So we came up with the 12-week program. We came up with the 12 thingies. But after the 12 weeks, either we get clients that change their goal or we get clients that have enjoyed it and just need a bit of hand-holding or accountability going forward. So from that point, they just um, we have a membership that they can, you know, they have 
they choose which package they want. They can have like one call a month. They can have two calls a month. They still stay on our app. So we get to monitor their blood pressure, step count, heart rate, sleep patterns, and they can still contact us. Um, but yeah, they they usually like to stay a little bit longer because they want, they just want. That be thrust into the cold world. Yeah. So my last question is going to be about the connection because that's yeah. one of your pillars. Yeah. And we're such creatures of like love and, and longing yeah. and, and belonging. Yeah. And that gets left out. It's so how much, like, can you just sort of speak to that? Like, yeah. what if people say, I don't have, you know, you simply see people making these TikToks. I don't have any friends, yeah. you know, like. Do you know the ironic thing about um, things like social media and, and connections is it was bought out as a platform to make us more connected, right? But in actual fact, in my opinion, it's made us way more disconnected. You've got more people having conversations with people via apps than you do in real life. And one of the things that I did when I put the program together was, and one of the things I'm fascinated by are the blue zone countries and the parts of the world where people live the longest in terms of health span. Um, And looking at, you know, what are these people actually doing? Why are people in um, Sardinia living, living like, you know, has a high one of the highest populations of people who live in beyond 100. Why is that? And you look at the things. And one of the things that's consistent amongst all of these things is that that connection, that having meaningful conversations. Now, that doesn't mean to say that you have to, um, every conversation you have has to be meaningful. It has to be, you know, that, that's a bit, that's a lot of pressure. But it is saying that once or twice a week, like have that, have mm. that conversation go and see that friend, pick up that phone and, you know, kill two birds with one stone. If you, if you, if you know that you need to exercise and you can see that, you know, in you, you're debating whether to take your friend or not, uh, like see your friend or, or do whatever, go and do it together. Mm-hmm. So it's just put in, put in a way. I know myself that I have to, you know, speak to my sister, speak to my brothers, speak to my, my mom and dad. And, and that, that's a way for me to get that meaningful connection, but it is really important because I mean, loneliness is, 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 it's massive at the moment and the pandemic made it worse. And you can just see the repercussions of those people that were locked up by themselves in lockdowns and uh, what it did to their mental health. Um, so yeah. Just texting doesn't do it. No, it doesn't. It's not, it doesn't feel as, as sincere, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's so much nicer to just pick up the phone or, you know, go for that coffee, like even coffee. if it's half an hour. Just yeah. get out there and just and you it. just do it and see how you feel. I met a friend yeah. for coffee on Sunday and I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so good. Yeah. Like just talking to her for a couple hours. It was great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much. Yeah, You're doing okay. great work. Thank you so much. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.